0: Welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. As vaccinations continue and restrictions are being lifted, many are starting to think about a post-pandemic world. This week's guests are doing just that. Earlier this month, the Alderville First Nation held its band council election. Chief Dave Mowat was re-elected for a second term. The pandemic weighed heavily on the election, but coming out of it, the council has lots on its plate, including economic development, a cannabis bylaw, and its ongoing environmental agenda. Also top of mind are residential schools, with more and more unmarked graves being discovered, plus its own radar survey, the unfolding events are front and center. Mowat will talk about all this and more. I'm so pleased to have with me today Dave Mowat, Chief of the Alderville First Nations. Welcome to Consider This. Thanks, Robert. Um, I want to begin by congratulating you on your re-election as Chief, and I'd like to start by telling us what made you decide to run another time. Well,
1: um, firstly, thanks uh thanks uh for having me and thank you very much um um as you might know uh, we are currently we operate under the indian act and under the indian act election regulations um we have a mandate for only two years um and so as you can imagine two years is not a lot of time to get things done or to even get major things started and so uh um having also been on the council for eight years previously, um, it's almost a given that you would run for reelection, um, really because of the short mandate, uh, but also because of the, uh, a number of initiatives that we were involved in. Um, it
0: simply behooved me to, uh, to run for reelection. Now, what has been your greatest challenge over the past term as chief?
1: Uh, well, um, The pandemic would have to be the uh, top sort of issue that we had to deal with, undoubtedly, for every leader uh, throughout the world, actually, big or small. Um, You know, it it just, uh, it was almost surreal the way it came down and almost, I guess I I almost, uh, I have to go back to the SARS days, I remember that, of course, it wasn't all that long ago. But uh, I remember that and how we uh, and I, when I say we, I just mean say my family here or people in general figured and believed that science would contain this, and we'd carry on. And uh, of course, the Rolling Stones came and did their thing, and uh, and then eventually we uh, we carried on. Um, but this was much different, as we all know, and um, it hit us oh, I'm going to say March 25th was sort of D-Day here in Alderville when we uh, uh, put out our first order to uh, to shut down everything in the community. And that was a real difficult decision to have to make because we knew it was going to impact local business. Um, and uh, I would have to say that was the, um, the greatest challenge, undoubtedly. Um, and, of course... Uh, The fact that it went on for so long and the fact that we went back into lockdown, um, that was undoubtedly the greatest challenge because uh, uh, as time went on, we do know that uh, local business was was being affected. And so, um, you know, you you do gain a a respect for what uh, the Premier was going through, for instance, um, um, balancing the economy with... uh, with, you know, balancing the economy with pandemic is the worst sort of balancing act you ever want to have to enter into. So I would say that that is, uh, that tops them all.
0: How did you navigate those waters then? How did you and the council work together with the communities? Yes, um, so what we did is we uh, we
1: invoked uh, an order system, and uh, we published and um, disseminated um, council orders, and um, we're actually, um, I think, on our 17th or 18th order um, now. But what we did is we, we declared a state of emergency. Um, and what the, we ended up doing is working in tandem with the, with the province. And we know now that the province was sort of, uh, at, at sometimes it appeared like they were flying by the seat of their pants. And there was a lot of education and understanding um, that that went along with this. And so um, working in tandem with the local health unit and with the province was about the best solution we could find because we we didn't want to be making orders or we didn't want to be countering what the province was attempting to do uh, because in our minds that felt like it would uh, be, uh, that would defeat our um, purposes um, behind trying to keep the community safe. So that was the best tact that we took was working in tandem with the community or started with the province. So when the province came down with its orders, we basically echoed what those orders were. Um, and then of course, as we got into the deep into the weeds with, regarding this pandemic, when it came down to the lockdowns, um, we did have to, uh, cut back on hours, for instance, of, of businesses here. Uh, we uh, em- employed all of those COVID measures, masks, physical distancing, all of that that stuff that came out of the, the pandemic, uh, all of those uh, health-related COVID measures that we are now familiar with. We, we echoed all of that in the community. We did actually shut the community down at the outset for a number of weeks. We just sealed everything off. We, we shut everything down. Uh, and then we, we, uh, we did open things up slowly. Um, and like I say, we shut everything down. Parks, our recreation, assets. Um, we uh, actually um, waived rent for, uh, for people here on the reserve as this pandemic started to entrench itself. Uh, we deferred uh, mortgages for members on the reserve. Uh, we have an internal mortgage uh, system here. So we, we deferred mortgages for people who uh, were now laid off in, in some cases. Um, so basically, uh, on sort of the high end is, is that we, we started to take the lead. Um, we started to, to walk in tandem with whatever the government, the province was doing so that we would sort of be in step with what the province was doing.
0: What was the community's reaction as you were going through these steps? Well, there was a lot of angst. There was a lot of concern. Um,
1: you know, uh, I'm not a scientist and not a doctor, and we had to rely on science and, and on medical uh, advice, and so people became um, very concerned. businesses were you know being told to stay closed for for weeks and weeks and weeks uh, there was concern no doubt um but uh generally speaking um everybody understood the criticality of this issue and um and then when the schools closed down you know it just seemed to be uh with some pretty dark days uh, during this time uh but um all in all, the community was very supportive, and uh, I commend our community and our business sector for uh, for helping us get through this. I
0: should also say we're not out of the woods yet. Yes. Of course, we're not out of uh, not out of the woods.
1: We uh, we have pa- uh, vaccinated our our community, but uh, in just in the in the news yesterday, uh, there's, there's still millions of people that are not vaccinated in Canada, and they're. Is uh, some concern about reluctance, etc. And uh, there's also concern about a fourth wave. So we are not out of the woods. And also, um, we have not lifted our state of emergency here in Alderville. We uh, we're still under a state of emergency uh, because in the event that things still, you know, do go south, we we hope they don't. But in the event that they do, we believe that we'll still have some leverage insofar
0: as. Uh, not lifting our own state of emergency at this point. I'd like to go back for a moment, if I could, and I'd like to talk about the uh, election. Was there anyone else who no. ran for re-election? Yes. Yeah, so um, uh,
1: the, the, the council, uh, our current council, everybody ran for re-election. And, um, and then there were, uh, so I ran for re-election as chief, and then there were three others that ran against me for, for that position. And then, uh, just off the top of my head, there were about fourteen people running for council, including those that were already in council. So, three of us were reelected. Two councilors were not reelected, and um, so that was Wes Marsden, senior. He was reelected, along with myself, and along with Councilor Jason Marsden.
0: And who are the other people who were successful?
1: Um, the other people were Sean Crow. He's a first-time councilor. And he did well. And uh, uh Nora Boff Nora Sawyer, sorry, Nora Nora Sawyer, she was a former chief. Nora was chief from nineteen eighty seven to nineteen ninety one and then ninety three to ninety five. So uh I'm looking forward to, to having Nora's uh, experience around the table.
0: No, yeah, I, oh, I was just yelling at my dog. Oh there you go. <laughs> uh, Now, what was the platform that you ran on and what were the key, uh, issues for this election that, uh, people were debating and talking about? Well, um, we, uh, we are in a
1: a good financial state of affairs here. We, uh, we are uh, in good, in good financials. Um, we're in a good financial position and, um, form did not change from 2019 which was to protect our treaty resources our, uh, the benefits that we acquired through our Williams Treaty Settlement Agreement in 2018 that was my primary concern and my primary platform was to protect those resources that comes out of that agreement And um, and so what I told people this time around is that uh, you know, if a platform sets out your sort of objectives and, and the basis upon which you wish to govern, then my platform does, doesn't change since 2000, from 2019, it remained the same, which was to protect those resources um, so that we could uh, you know carry on and move forward on a strong financial footing. That was my main concern
0: and remains my main concern. For those of us who don't understand or don't know what the Williams Treaty resources entail, would you just take a moment before you go on just to explain that so that...
1: Yes. Um, The Williams Treaty Settlement Agreement, which is a public... uh, It's now, you know, that's in the public domain. Um, uh, That was a claim that was submitted in 1992 by the seven Williams Treaties First Nations for breaches that arose out of the 1923 Williams Treaties. And uh, there were seven, there were seven First Nations that are signatory to the Williams Treaties. The uh, the Mississauga communities of Alderville, Curve Lake, Hiawatha, Scugog, and the Chippewa communities of Beausoleil, Georgina Island, and Rama. And so that claim uh, wound its way through the court system and was stalled and put on the back burner and you know it was politicized and weaponized and you name it it went through a, a great deal of uh, um, push and pull and false starts and you name it uh, that's a long time for a for a claim to try to make its way through the court system. Um, however it did and um, eventually, uh, by 2013, it ended up at, at trial, and so I was there along with our former chief uh, Jim Marsden, and you know all of the former leaders and former chiefs and councils and community members that were interested at, at that time were uh, were there to witness the beginning of the trial in 2013. Uh, I believe it might be the first time that a a, a trial sat at uh, at a First Nation. Um, it, it, it's uh, the, the court actually moved to Rama, and the court uh, uh, also moved to Curve Lake, and, and was in session in both those communities. And so the the, the trial then dealt with the uh, the breaches that we claimed uh, that arose from 1923, and uh, eventually by 2016, 17. Governments, both governments, Ontario had a mandate to negotiate the claim uh, by by 2013 or 14. Uh, Canada was the holdout, but after the Trudeau Liberals got into power, um, the federal government also received its mandate to negotiate the claim, and so um, and so those negotiations ensued from about late 2016. I'm just guessing what the time frame is here. Uh, but it was resolved by May 2018. It had been negotiated, uh, and an agreement had been negotiated by May of 2018. And so there was, um, out of that, uh, there were 77,000 acres of legal land, legal land entitlement. There was a financial package, which was uh, split amongst the seven First Nations. And we also had our harvesting rights reaffirmed and um and so that was one of the big pieces was having uh, our harvesting rights um reaffirmed by both governments throughout our pre-confederation treaty areas which covers a huge swath of southern ontario um so that was a large piece of the of the entire process um from a duty to consult level and from a consultation perspective um uh, having a voice again over our resource base and over our pre-confederation treaty areas is very important. Um, and so that I would say that was uh, outside of the financial piece, I would say the reaffirmation of our harvesting rights was, was huge, which was a huge bonus and benefit for the First Nations communities. Because it also allows our voice to be better heard when it comes to development throughout our treaty areas so um, and there was a lot of you know there was a lot of contention as well out of that agreement not everybody agreed with the uh, the outcome uh, especially when you uh, are dealing with a financial package there's always a concern and there's always disagreement etc but um, uh, because of what we were able to acquire and attain through that agreement. I uh, was very concerned with protecting it and protecting its ability to allow us to plan uh, moving forward. Um, and what we also did is we developed trust. Um, and so we have a, uh, uh, an investment vehicle that uh, is uh, governed by a board of trustees, which are band members, and a corporate trustee. And this trust is uh, an important vehicle to allow us to uh, to plan around our infrastructure on the on the First Nation. Uh, it, it's going to allow us to do a host of things that will benefit our, our members. Um, looking out 50 years, actually, this trust is uh, currently this trust is written to uh, to extend out 50 years.
0: So what kind of resources are we, are we talking about fiscally? Or, uh, you know, what sort of amounts are we talking about? And what sort of revenue does it generate for you when you talk about managing this, this important financial aspect going forward as part of your platform? What are the numbers we're talking about? Um, I don't think I want to go into specifics uh, on that,
1: but I, all I w- will say is that it is um, it's, uh, unprecedented in Alderville's history. And it, uh, it gives us um, um, the ability to um, look out above and beyond, you know, working simply with government. Um, we now have, um, I would say, we're, well, we're definitely in a much stronger position um, as a partner of government. Um, you know, we're not talking... Hundreds of thousands of dollars here. We're talking millions of dollars, and um, and we are now a serious um, player. In fact, the, the Department of uh, the Department, the uh, Indigenous Services Canada, which is the main programming operations arm of uh, of uh, what was formerly the Department of Indian Affairs, uh, they look to Alderville as a as a high flyer. That's a quote from them. Oh, we're a high flyer. Insofar as our financial capacity, our sustainability, our audits are always bang on, and so from the federal government side, uh, we are um, one of their sort of, uh, uh, I would say, uh, we are a star, uh, a star candidate, um, and then from our own internal resources, again, not only from the Williams Treaties settlement, but simply because we are a very uh, responsible and accountable First Nation. Um, So right across the board, I'm very proud of uh, the fact that we are in the position we're in. And um, and for me, that is the key to um, having good infrastructure, having good programming, you know, right down to having good, nice playgrounds for the children, um, a host of things. It's uh, it's quite amazing what we've been able to pull off by putting the money in trust and creating a sizable return annually. Um, it's put us in a very uh, strong position. And so I should just probably leave it at that. But uh, again, just to reiterate, um, we have the capacity now to uh, become, a strong player with government, not uh, not subservient to government insofar as you know seeking grants and uh, requiring or or uh, relying on grants from the government. Certainly, every municipality um, and or and First Nation, um, you know, receive grants and receive their transfer payments from government. But for us, uh, at this time in our history we are in a position that we've never been in before.
0: Dave, I'd like to take you back. We were talking about your platform and and what you were running on before, and and we've talked quite a bit about the financial side. Were there other key issues in this election that you ran on beyond uh, fiscal responsibility? Well, the environment
1: is critically important and climate change, no doubt. Um, I've been involved in the Black Oak Savannah, Tallgrass Prairie uh, right from the beginning when we started to put the meat on the bone here. Um, I'm going back to 1999, 2000, I was working for, for Alderville in a different capacity. And uh, I built my home here on the edge of the Savannah and the tall grass prairie parcel uh, in our, one of our original subdivisions. And uh, it all came back to me as a child, remembering how beautiful this area is and um, and working alongside Rick Beaver, a biologist and actually my neighbor, um, I started to reflect back on what I remember here and and as it turns out the Black Oak Savannah Tallgrass Prairie is now a 130 acre site, pristine ecology, it's one of the most uh, pristine ecologies and probably in Canada uh, we have species at risk here that uh, proliferate, uh, as opposed to other sites in, in Canada, um, and so that was uh, that's always been a huge, important aspect of my life and aspect of my work for Alderville First Nation is preserving this site as a as a site uh, a stopover for microbes. want to um, be able to protect our land um, and so there's a there's a process that is now available called the, the First Nations land management Act and it's a piece of legislation what it does is it allows a First nation to come out from the Indian act and take authority over the approximate 40 provisions the, the 40 land provisions that the Indian Act; it gives a First Nation the ability to take over authority for those provisions. And so, what it is is that it's, it's, it's a sectoral self-government agreement, and it will, I would hope, and I do hope, that it'll give us more control over protecting our land. So that's another. issues here. There has been trespass issues over the past. First Nations have dealt with trespass for decades and decades and generations and generations. Uh, Trespass on uh, Indian reserves uh, has always been an issue, and so um, I'm concerned about having the capacity to deal with that. Um, We also have uh, a roads issue here goes back to the 19th century and that uh, stems out of our relations with the local municipality in which certain roads were run across the reserve without legal authority and so I'm also dealing with that and we've uh, we've arrived at uh, an agreement in principle with with uh, El calledderman Township to resolve those roads issues um, and so you know I could go on and on there's a a host of, uh, of issues that uh, are spilling out over into this new term um, and actually some other issues like the roads issue is uh, it's been we've been dealing with this for for ten years actually so, um, so that kind of gets back to the short mandate the two, short two-year mandate which um, doesn't not allow um, the Chief and Council, to to resolve some of these issues all within two years. So there's a lot of moving parts here, Robert.
0: Yeah, It uh, sounds like it, lot. Dave. It, it really does. And, and when you were talking about land and land use and roads, it, it brings up the, the moratorium on commercial development that you uh, put in place back about a year ago. It was July 2020. And at that time, there were concerns over the amount of development taking place around County Road 45 through Alderville. There was a drop in the speed limit. There were concerns that the development was breaching some of the more fundamental beliefs that you were just talking about. Environmental things like uh, the need for environmental assessments and ecological impact studies and those kinds of things. Now, certainly that must have ruffled some feathers now, not Everyone agreed with it. What was the initial reaction to that, and how has council moved forward from that over the last year? And- yeah, a uh, very tough situation indeed.
1: Um, again, under the Indian Act, chief and council have very little authority. Um, we had to almost um, um, rely on people's goodwill to adhere to our order. other hand because unlike a municipality we don't have that authority that a municipality may have we don't have those authorities that the province and or the federal government have and that is a real failing of colonialism that's a real failing of the indian act and so here we are in 2021 and our community has changed uh huge big time and uh and so last year was again was simply the the, um, the, the level of commercial development um, it was really um, there's also a cannabis uh, industry here as you probably know and that uh, contributed to some of the development um, we're not anti-development That also had to be factored into uh, this this question of development um, now if you come out here today you will see some development of course there's still development occurring and uh, that uh, is something that I'm I'm uh, I feel good about that that it's uh, positive development um, there's a new bakery on its way out here and. Uh, There's a a go-kart track that's just being developed as we speak. And so, um, you know, we don't have those authorities. We really don't have those authorities to say you can't do anything or you you can only do it at at our um, behest sort of a thing. Um, We've had to rely on people's goodwill to respect what we are trying to say through uh, through the moratorium um but again the First Nations land management act process i hope will allow us to have more authority will give us more authority when it comes to invoking a moratorium for any reason um uh, but again we're not there yet so we've had to rely on people's respect and goodwill and and i would say generally you know um since we did pull, put bring down that moratorium yes there has been some pushback There has been pushback, but uh, I would say that it's been respectful pushback, if if I can. Um, People understand our concern uh, for the land and for the water, Um, but um, on the other hand, we have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, people are entrepreneurs here in Alderville. There has always been a strong entrepreneurial spirit here in Alderville, so again, here we are,
0: one of the things that came up uh, during the uh, imposition of the moratorium was uh, the possibility of a draft cannabis law. Did you ever move forward on that, or have you enacted anything like that? We did, uh, we did um, um, send out
1: uh, a draft cannabis law and a draft business law, and uh, that was uh, finalized and sent out to our... our um, retail sector and actually to the entire community and uh, so right now we're just in the process of reviewing the comments that came in and there's a whole uh, array of comments that uh, that did come in, uh, everything from resistance to to that process to uh, at least a respect for what we're trying to do so we're in the process literally in the process of, of uh, reviewing those comments and, and then um, what that'll do is it'll feed into uh, new edits on that draft law. So that's all fresh. Um, at this time, there's nothing enacted and, and nothing has been sort of put on the books. Um, there's a whole list, a number of issues too when it comes to, to lawmaking on the reserve. There's the enforceability piece is huge. It's okay to say you have a law, but if you can't enforce it, then it's not much of a law. And so, um, that is a whole sort of conglomeration of, uh, of working on the authority side, working on the enforceability side. Um, it's it's a, kind of like an octopus, uh, trying to deal with an octopus. And uh, all we can do is forge ahead and, and um, um, keep working with the community and, and working with the retail sector to, uh, to come up with the best solution.
0: Now, I, I know this is not unique to Alderville. I, I know nearby, for example, Tyandonega Mohawk face similar issues and other uh, First Nations face similar issues. Do you share information, strategies around handling this kind of thing? Um,
1: not with Tyandonega, for instance. I, 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 I'm i in uh, meetings with Chief Miracle every now and then, but not really uh, on uh, on the basis of what are you doing on this issue and uh, comparing notes in, in so far as that's concerned. Um, I would work more closely with our own Williams treaties communities when it comes to understanding how they're dealing with issues. That's generally who I correspond with and communicate with on issues of, you know, like whatever it is, policing, uh, bylaw making, uh, business, etc. Um, you know, be it Hiawatha, Curve Lake, Skugog, or the Chippewa communities, they are the six other communities that I would correspond with the most uh, to determine how they're dealing with issues. Uh, and then I'm plugged into um. Have a very good uh, relationship with the Chiefs of Ontario and also the Anishinaabek nation. And so we can rely on those two agencies and entities to to help us move some of our initiatives forward too, and to also gain insights as to how we deal with the uh, the challenges that are in front of us. So we have a good um, we have a good information flow between those uh, agencies and, of course, uh, open communication with the other chiefs
0: uh, in Southern Ontario. Now, we've talked a lot about many issues in this conversation, but are there some other issues that the Band Council hopes to tackle over this term? Um, Well, I think the one
1: issue that I know I will be focused on, at least uh, in maintaining the pressure, is on the residential school issue. And um, uh, not losing sight of that, that issue and that sad story, um, when, I, when I put out the call for the Sea of Orange on July 1st, we had a very um, moving reception from our allies, you know, off the reserve and in Campbellford and Coburg and people came from uh, all throughout the area. To walk beside us and walk with us Uh, and so um, this has really you know grabbed the attention of people across the nation across the world actually around the world and so it's going to be really important to keep that information out in front of the uh, public in in the public eye it's an important part of Canadian history that needs to be continuously told and uh, and and the understanding is uh, is only really beginning around that chapter of Canadian history. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be one emphasis, uh, or you know, one one major component of our work is is uh, continuing to make sure that we educate people, and that people can be educated. Uh, I'm still getting a lot of calls and still getting a lot of inquiries for people as to how they can help or how they can learn more and gain more knowledge. So uh, I think the important thing is that that process not stop. Um, again, in this, in this upcoming term, we'll get sworn in on July 22nd, this Thursday. And, uh, and so, uh, again, the First Nations land management process is continuing. The, uh, all of the work that is going into that is continuing as we speak. Um, and we might, in this term, uh, put it to a vote um i'm i'm thinking that we might be able to get it in front of the community in this term for a vote on that on that package um and um I, you know um our water and our uh, our environment continue to always be an ongoing concern what we're seeing with the um, the forest fires and the drought uh, across the country um, we shouldn't be so sure that that's not going to hit us here, especially drought. Uh, I know we've got a lot of rain lately, but um, climate change and the environment is always an ongoing concern of mine. Protecting the Alderill Black Oak Savannah Tallgrass Prairie is a huge concern of mine, um, and and the work that is done there is uh, is uh, fascinating. What what occurs over there, um, and uh, again, uh, just. Through our resources here, through our treaty settlement resources, um, continuing to create good programming for our members on and off reserve is going to be an ongoing process. Um, that's that's a huge piece. Um, and so there's certain things that never change from one council to another, uh, and then there's new opportunities that arise uh, from one term to the next. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be a, a continuation of a lot of the good work I think that we've been able to set down in this last two years and then uh, uh, an ongoing sort of uh, push to continue that good work.
0: Our new Governor General, Mary Simpson, will be installed on July 26th next week. What is your reaction to her appointment? Uh, well, uh, a good person,
1: knowledgeable uh, I think it's a great appointment. Uh, She doesn't speak French. I was reading a a recent story, might have come out of the Globe, on the issue of her not being bilingual. So um, I'm not sure how that will play out. Uh, It might be the first time that a Governor General hasn't been able to speak French. I'm not exactly sure on that. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, She's going to have an interesting... Uh, time of it because she'll be heavily constrained by tradition. Um, I'm hoping she can give voice to to, to the issues at hand, um, especially the residential school issue um, that's, I'm sure, going to be in the forefront of her mind. But uh, I don't think anybody should be fooled into this. She's going to be heavily constrained by that tradition as the representative of the monar- of the monarch. Um, you know, I, I I don't know how that's ever gonna change. The governor general's position is not something that you just uh, you know, you turn upside down and and uh, uh you know you you break out of. It. It's it's heavily constrained by by tradition and so um uh, I'll be interested to see how she stick handles through that part of it
0: all. That's a really interesting point, though, Dave. Uh, And I'd like to follow up on it while you're talking, if I may, please. Some argue that she's now the Queen's representative in Canada. Meanwhile, she represents the same powers that have hurt Indigenous peoples for centuries. Do you think this is an awkward fit for an Indigenous person?
1: You know, I kind of do. I I, kind of feel that it's a tough position. It'll be a very tough position for her to be in, although she's not... apolitical so it's not like she can weigh into the politics uh, um, across the land but yeah I think it's um, I don't think it's going to be an easy position to be in Um, but the important thing though the important thing is that our relationship goes back to the imperial crown our relationship goes back to pre-Canada and so the crown being the uh, the treaty partner and the original imperial crown being our treaty partner, that's hugely important, critically important to, to us uh, from the First Nations side of the equation. And so um, the uh, that relationship, um, I, I see her as possibly being a great a link between us and the crown and I'm talking about the Queen, Um, what better time to sort of raise the profile of that relationship? Uh, I see that as a benefit, uh, as a positive. I I certainly hope so. But I can't stress enough the importance of that relationship between us and the Crown. It's critically important to us. Certainly to me as a historian that the uh, the relationship, the treaty relationship, uh, our first treaties go back to, well, it comes to the British, 1764, and the Covenant Chain, uh, the Royal Proclamation, the Treaty of Niagara, and then from out of that process, our our early land purchases and treaties uh, involved us and the British, uh, the Crown, the British Crown. Um, You know, the Crawford Purchase, Treaty 27, 27 and a quarter, Treaty 20, all those pre-Confederation treaties were um, um, were important, critically important, uh, a negotiated agreement between us and the king, or whoever is, was uh, speaking in right of the king, and so that's critically important. I can't, uh, you know, I can't say enough about how important that is. So, um, an important, an important appointment on the part of the prime minister, uh, but it's got to get beyond cosmetics of it all It's, it's uh, hopefully it will instill a change in, in, the, in the country
0: A new leader for the Assembly of First Nations was elected recently, Roseanne Archibald, and you mentioned her name earlier she's from Ontario um, how did you respond to that news of her election, and what do you think it's going to mean for Alderville?
1: Yeah uh, I, uh, I worked uh, alongside roseanne um, i shouldn't say uh, i mean most of all of our meetings were on zoom but uh, she was a very great uh, she was a great advocate uh, when it came to the vaccination piece and i was involved heavily in assuring that we would um, get vaccinated in good time here in alderville um, and she uh, established a strong working relationship with the provincial government executive table The Nation, which are important to us, because we are involved. Obvious, uh, often, we're involved in the day-to-day with the Chiefs of Material and/or the Nation, which are, you know, political adv- advocacy groups. Um, the, the Assembly of First Nations is quite unwieldy. Um, I wouldn't want the job. I don't know why she would have wanted it. Um, I was surprised when she decided to to make the run. Um, i I have my reservations about the effectiveness of the Assembly of First Nations. Um, I don't feel its presence in Alderville from not day to day, certainly from week to week. I wouldn't feel its presence from month to month, I might not feel its presence. So uh, I hold out on its effectiveness as far as uh, Alderville First Nations is concerned. Uh, It's not like the old days when it was a former National Indian Brotherhood and and it had a different purpose or a different objective and less money and um, less uh, involvement in in Ottawa. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't want the job. I don't know why she would have wanted it, but I I wish her all the best. I was involved in the elections. uh, All of the chiefs um, across Canada, Uh, not all of the chiefs, but uh, there were 406 registered chiefs and proxies that were involved in the election for the national chief, and I was one of them. And so it was a fascinating process to, to watch. Uh, I was involved in all five ballots uh, that came down, and then uh, as we, as you might have known, uh, as, you might, as you might have observed, it got down to the concession of uh, Reginald Arch, uh, Reginald Bellrose out of um, uh, Saskatchewan. And then um, Roseanne um, rose to the top, but she did not gain 60%, which is the required threshold in the Charter of the Assembly of First Nations. The National Chief has to attain 60%. She did not get 60%. She would not have got 60% at all. With the way the vote was coming down, she would never have got 60%. Um, And so she became the Chief, the National Chief, because Belrose. Um, he conceded um, it was a bit of a deadlock getting into that last ballot we were going to go to a 6th ballot but it never got there so it was a bit of a deadlock uh, and I think the only way that it would have been resolved was through concession <laughs> so unlike Perry Bellegarde uh, I was involved in Bellegarde's first election in 2014 I believe it was 2014 um, I was involved in his election as the proxy for Alderville and he he won the his post in the first ballot Um, and I don't think he had much opposition in the second but uh, being a part of the process being a part of the election was a very interesting and fascinating um, role for me to be able to play and uh, I wish Roseanne all the best Uh, she's a strong advocate she's a smart uh, she's a smart lady and she's Uh, well-educated and and well-spoken, and I know that she'll be a, uh, a real strong presence for the First Nations in Canada. There's no doubt about it.
0: Dave Mowat, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you very much, Robert. Always. That was my interview with Alderville Chief Dave Mowat. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today.